problem Mathematical equations in my mind Unpredictable persuasions that he finds Unbreakable invasions Dangerous thoughts leave awful abrasions Forceful irrational actions Hate them absorbing my time He's an alien core extraction Of the good thoughts that I long for Anchor slipping from my mind my soul He's gripping I'm losing entire control Faster than a concord Things I want to conquer Take me far longer He swings at me harder than happy Gilmore Whacking some golf balls He is the monster thrashing my conscience I am engulfed in his tiresome problems Call for as he drives me bonkers I'm dizzy heads fizzy Illogical meanings hang around with me Psychological de- What's going on, everybody? This is Andy Morales, and welcome to the Jandom Sessions Live podcast, episode number six. In case you're wondering, the song you just heard was called Lonely, and it is by Duke Al, who happens to be my guest today. How are you, brother? I'm very well. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Looking uh Looking forward to getting into some cool conversation. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, it's funny because I was joining Robert Kazi's live and you were the first person he had. And cause I know he had told me, yeah, I'm going to do this episode and I'm going to do the whole open mic and have a guest. So when I, I happened to tune in when you were live with him and it, I was just so fascinated. I said, I have to follow this guy. I have to get to know this brother more. And I'm glad I did, you know, and even Robert was like, Hey, bro, you should definitely have this guy on your podcast, man. Definitely. I'm like, yeah, I'll reach out to him, see if he's interested. And here we are, you know, so it's just so organic. Um, I think one thing we first thing we, oh, oh, my bad. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I said, no, I love that, man. And I really appreciate you, uh, well, your compliments. Um, and, uh, and watching the show, I think Robert is just such an awesome guy. And I was very privileged to be the first the first guest on his show yeah it was awesome yes i love robert too it's funny because i knew i i met him through another brother who goes by the name of hiro and um he's the one that introduced me to robert when they were doing pieces together so uh, again that was very exciting to know that brother and and everybody else on instagram actually so it's definitely exciting so one thing i guess we could start here is um the new ep album that just dropped congratulations on that Oh, thank you, man. It's been such an awesome journey. <laughs> yeah, it dropped on uh, March the 13th, which is my birthday. Amen. And it's called Into the Third, 1994, which, of course, is my date of birth. Uh, and the reason I called it that is because when I look back to my projects, I want to remember that to be, you know, my first my first project. And uh, I thought it was a really cool title just to sort of introduce me as well as an artist and the first track, then 13, is get straight into the nitty-gritty of, of who I am and what I'm about. So, yeah, I'm, I'm really I'm really just uh, proud of of just achieving, achieving, creating my first EP. And I just hope people can uh, listen to it and hopefully get something from it, man. That's, that's, the, that's the reason why I do this. Amen, really. amen. And I definitely, I definitely agree with that. You know, not just gain inspiration, but to also give inspiration to those who are uninspired, if that makes sense. And I wanted to talk to you about the song Lonely, because if, if I'm not mistaken, that's their single, right? If I'm not mistaken? Yeah, that's the single, yeah. So talk to me about that song. So Lonely was uh, a song which I first got the instrumental back in 2020, February. So really, I'll cut this story quite short, this this part of the story. But I was looking for a producer, basically. And um, I uploaded a cover of a Drake song, Life is Good. And then a producer from Finland in the name of his producer's name is called Baben. 
he actually liked the song. And at the time, you know, I was seeing people who, who liked who liked my music, seeing what was going on. And I clicked on his profile, seeing he was a producer, and then liked his beats. I thought, oh, that's cool, you know. And I feel like the universe was answering me, you know, or, you know, God was answering my prayer or answering what was going on in my head, thinking I need a producer to, to really work with. But some not just to work with, but somebody who gets me and, and we, like, gel with. Uh, naturally and it's authentic so I messaged him just straight away saying hey man would you like to collaborate I think your music's awesome type thing and he said yeah let's let's go for it but it wasn't until April when we were when we were put when we were put in lockdown where we actually started really talking properly and then Lonely was the first song of the EP we did we started video calling a very good friend of mine now and then uh, and then I said to him would you like to do an EP and he was well up for it so it's awesome uh, so that organic in itself and then with Lonely being our first song I've always wanted to do a song which is basically um, sort of talks about my struggles with alcohol to use it as a negative coping mechanism to battle my own OCD. Now OCD is a very misunderstood mental health illness and I also wanted to break some of the stigma with the song as well so it's a very important song for me to do. And um and yeah, I dropped the music video not long ago as well, so that's got a bit more of a bit more of a visual about about how basically um when I was a bit younger, I I was having all these intrusive thoughts. Everything was so difficult to deal with and I just I wasn't educated enough on my own mental health illness because education is power as you know that. Uh so yeah, I turned to alcohol to to try and fight that and that's what the song's about really i'm just trying to be raw and real and with with everything that i do including this song um my little slogan is um i create to relate and educate so relate to people who are going through certain things in life in this case mental health illness and more specifically ocd so they don't feel alone and so they can they can maybe reach out themselves and as you said and try and inspire others to to reach out and up and get help and and recognize those negative coping mechanisms in, in their life, because we all have them, unfortunately, but we just need to try and trade them for those positive coping mechanisms and then educate people who just don't understand, man. You know, as I said, OCD is a very misunderstood mental health illness and, you know, more awareness needs to be, needs to be made of it worldwide, but not just OCD, like many mental health illnesses are so misunderstood. And as I said, knowledge is just power. And if we can all just, take the time just to educate ourselves even a little bit even a little bit about different mental health illnesses even physical illnesses we can have so much more understanding in the world together you know? no i definitely i definitely agree with that uh and, and everything you said was so spot on because you know when i first started doing the community because before i had the podcast it was actually a community page that had the podcast in it so i would just upload the lives onto the podcast because before you couldn't save the lives and then once they started doing, okay, you can save the lives. There was no point for it. So I had to redirect the podcast. So to lead into what you're saying, I definitely agree with you because when I decided to do the second season, but now this one's just on my own and I, cause I don't have the community page anymore. Uh, it's just all my podcast. So I feel, you know, I think I know what direction I'm going to take this in. So when I decided, okay, I'm going to do this. And everything you just said was exactly the reason why I wanted to do the season to just, you know, move on and just continue with the podcast because what it all comes down to is 
there's so many stories that need to be told and a lot of their stories that have not been told because they haven't given the platform or they haven't given the opportunity to tell the story and everything you just said, you know, we are not alone and there's people who don't know that. And this is a good way to use that, whether it's my podcast or whether it's your music or, or through poetry. And one thing I realized about this poetry community is that a lot of us are so connected in such a profound way that it's like, wow, you know, like, like you live in the UK, I live in Jersey, but I'm originally from Bushwick of, of Brooklyn, New York, you know, I'm like, whoa, who would ever thought I could, re I could connect with someone like yourself, you know, and it's just so powerful how, see, so it is possible to use social media for good. Not all social media is bad, you know, and this is very profound. And I definitely believe that. And as far as mental health, yeah, mental health is really bad right now. And one thing I will say is that um, it is very misunderstood. As a matter of fact, um, I was diagnosed with schizotypal personality disorder when I was growing up, which gets confused a lot with schizophrenia. That gets confused a lot, you know. And everything you just said, it makes so much sense because... Yeah, you do feel alone. You do feel vulnerable because a lot of things were not explained to me. And, you know, when you live in a household with Puerto Rican people, because I'm Puerto Rican, so I have Puerto Rican parents, 1950s, so they're very old-fashioned. And I wasn't allowed to do a lot of things. I wasn't allowed to express my emotions. So I had to keep everything bottled up because, you know, like having a conversation with someone like my parents, it was just impossible. So it, it, it was what it was. Yeah. And we weren't allowed to talk about those things. And with that being said, poetry and like, like I told Robert, I don't consider myself poet. poet. I'm more like a guy who writes. That's the way I see myself. And me writing is what got me by my childhood to teenagehood to adulthood it really got me by yeah and and what you said about alcohol yeah definitely because I actually struggled with that a lot for a long time I mean I've been clean for like almost seven years now but I, I used to oh, do drugs yeah I used to do drugs I used to do alcohol you know I did molly I used to do weed I used to do all these things because like you said the coping mechanism is just what I knew you know at first I did it because it was like, all right, everybody else was doing it. But I didn't understand that me doing that was the seed to further my depression rather than to get better, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I think I can relate to that. You know, grow, growing up in the UK, um, we have such a heavily, we're such a heavily sort of binge cultured society. <laughs> uh, we start drinking, you know, 14 maybe some people younger than that you know and, and we drink a lot of us drink just to get drunk and then I started doing that you know from a young age from around 14 and then I didn't realize until I was a few years older that the reason you know all my friends used to say I was absolutely crazy when I was drunk and I would I would be the one to always excessively drink just drink to the point until I couldn't drink no more um whether that resulted resulted with me just spewing my guts out passing out you know getting into trouble or what just I just kept drinking and it wasn't until the realization when I was a little bit older I was like oh wow I know exactly why I did that now and the reason why I became so wild and my personality almost changed was because um I was just fight I was fighting myself pretty much you know I was fighting my OCD and I struggle not struggle that's the wrong word I never get angry, man. I'm not an angry person. Um, 
But when I drink, I get angry at myself, not at others, but at myself. And then it like it almost gave me like the outlet to 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 say no, I'm not I'm not going to listen to you today. I'm going to do this instead. But then that persona would then come across onto other people in a you know not not very nice way. Um, so unfortunately, drinkers got me into a few problems in my life. Um, you know, I'm the one to blame, yes. But at the end of the day, um, I've learned from it and. As I said, knowledge is power. When I realized it was my OCD and realized what I was doing, I was able to change it. And um, I, I love what you say say about writing as well. Writing for me was definitely, I would say writing has probably saved my life. I mean, before the alcohol, I used to cope straight away with the pen and, with the pen and the paper, you know. So that was my uh, initial way of, that's how it got me into poetry, got me into writing because I was just writing poetry and raps about all these crazy thoughts that I was having and I didn't want to tell anybody because I thought everybody would think I was crazy um so that was my escapism just getting everything down onto the paper but in in some in some sort of creative way and uh it's been with me ever since um even though I've as I said I've tripped over a few times you know on the alcohol and things like that but Yes, it's still with me today, and now I'm trying to be as impactful as possible, man. man <laughs> as you are with man. your pod- no, your hey, podcast, no, is important. So what you're doing is very important work. So no, we appreciate thank you, that. Thank you. No, thank you. Thank you. And it, it's so true. Like writing is so therapeutic. But I, I know what you mean too, because it's like, ah, uh, you know, it, it's 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 crazy. You know, like it, it's because even though you, you said very interesting thing, you said all oh, that universe, how crazy. I don't think you were crazy. I just believe that. You know, when you look back on all your writing, that's where you were. Like one thing that somebody told me, um, Brian Edwards, who's someone I, I definitely, you know, he's one of the biggest inspirations of my life as well in this poetry community was. He said that, you know, when you write poems and then you look back on later, even though that's not where you are now, but that's where you were at that time. But to look, because you could change it if you want, but why? Like, why would I want to change something like that? No, like it, that's, that's who I was at that time. I wrote this piece. That's not who I am today, but I can look back and be like, wow, I could appreciate that. Yeah, yeah, that's powerful. Yeah, I like that. That's a good thing to do. Look back on your poems and, yeah, never change them, man. <laughs> they represent you, they represent you of, a, of a different stage of your life, emotionally and physically or whatever was going on. So it's almost like a... It's almost like a, a rhyme diary, we should say. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So um, with that said, would you like to share a piece with us? Yeah, I'd love to share a piece with you. Uh, I'm actually going to show you the same piece that I did on Roberts Live the other day because it's a relatively new piece. Okay. And uh, it's actually a collaborative piece, but it can, it can also be a separate poem. So when it's a collaborative piece, an awesome poem called poet called Jack's, she does her piece first, then we both synchronize this other piece, which, are, which is a response to it. And then I do my last piece and I do my piece, which is, which is what I'm going to do with you now. And the whole poem is basically about, it's called A Letter to Myself About Letters, but it's about how our different mental health illnesses um, challenge us when we, try and read, when we try and learn poems. So basically, OCD throws like uh, intrusive thoughts, like at every letter you can imagine. Um, and attaches them to every letter when I'm trying to learn my poems 
it just likes to try and steal my com- concentration and uh, it becomes very stressful for me to learn poetry to actually learn my poems uh, so I wanted to sort of explore that and I don't think it's really been explored before which is why we've uh, we've created this so um, here it is man all right a letter to myself about letters letters let us communicate when the pen is on the page where your hate cannot be betrayed they are my escape let us let trust illuminate between the gaping hole in which i create to keep you in the shade let us break like an iceberg of lettuce where our layers are laid for all on display so they know you and how you manipulate me let a race for letters zoom at a pace where cadence dances, an, informed, an informal sentence structure, a free flow, unique changes, no life sentence, just me, my life behind these bars, these stanzas, whoever wins may point to a place of how the brain interprets the letters I choose to be a part of my portrait. All I want to do is write meaningful words which relate and educate my fellow humans with a seamless flow. Letters, let us, loathe, lonely, licking lips, getting ready to spit. But this time, who won the race? Will I trippity trip or slippity slip on the tippity tip of my tongue? Where I'd run into a sudden fatigue where the letters don't flow so quick. They slow stick to my enzymes as if they become chopped up. Then you end rhymes quick. My mouth, a letterbox full of your hate mail. I digest lines as they pass through my intestines into the toilet as my shit. A reversed verse because I lost the race and that's it. Even if I rehearsed, I choke, yeah. It's the nerves, but it's also this bloke, this person, this version of me within me. Yes, I'm talking about you, OCD. With each letter, you attach a character that's dark and gloomy, which detaches my concentration. I must perform compulsions to feel okay as they start to consume me. Anxiety through the roof. I complete my compulsions, yet fears soon resume, see? They are mentally traumatizing, R-rated. Nothing's ever A-okay, because you, OCD, have no R-E-S-P-E-C-T for me, frankly. Let me put it frank. Links to my mental health lead back to you, the founding father of my mental suffering. A Frankenstein horror show you show me when I am trying to learn my words, my poetry. So I'm going to keep this PG-13 to save the triggers. After all, you are a loony tune. Looming around all smug, you think it's funny as you chew in my ear like an evil bug's bunny. I feel our daft. Duke, you're like Daffy Duck, who can't pronounce these letters or they just get stuck. A stutter mutter like Porky Pig. I wish I could recite these words as easy as spreading butter or apple sauce on a porky pig. I'm dorky when I write my rhymes. I want them to morphine this pain with wordplay and syllables. Deeper meaning, skills lyrical to fight against these rituals. This cynical, miserable individual, uncontrollable like the Tasmanian devil. I'm ill, of course. Now I understand how that little bird Tweety felt being chased around so much. Yeah, at least she was clever enough to deflect all of the rough potential attacks. Man, she was tough. I guess what I'm trying to say is that I've had enough. All I want to do is write meaningful words which relate and educate my fellow humans with a seamless flow. These characters form my poems. With each letter, I'll get better, I'll forget your OCD. All of those intrusive thoughts you hopelessly feed throw at me. I am the competitor competing for my mind. You're my vendetta, a part of me forever trying to stop me from living life. Yet you will never stop my rhymes. That's me. Wow. That's wow. Fun. Wow. Uh, I just had a sip of my tea. <laughs> no, it's fine. It's fine. Wow. Oh, my God. Wow. So much relatability 
on this piece. Oh my God. And one thing I love about this piece, because I started writing some notes down while you're speaking, because I'm the kind of guy, like I like to read something or listen to something and then dissect it a little bit. One thing I love about this piece is the fact that you didn't allow the things to define you, rather you defined it. The part where he says, um, the part basically when you were talking about who won the race, I lost the race, we kept going, but like I love that and I love the how you took OCD and you called it by name. You called it out. Kind of like when someone's bothering you, I'm going to call you out on it type thing. And you knew yeah. when enough was enough, I'm going to take charge of, of, of my life and I'm not going to let you control me, rather I control you kind of thing. And it's funny because I've been worked, I've been, I've been working, I've been walking with the Lord, I'm going to say since 2013. And one of the biggest lessons I've learned from that, and it's, it is so defining this piece too, is that one, when enough is enough, you take charge, right? And another thing I learned about my walk with the Lord is that when something's overcoming you, you call that thing by name. And like uh, they say, you know, step on it kind of thing. Like you, because that thing, you, you, it goes below. Uh, how do I explain it? Like the area of attack is always beneath your feet because you're conquering that thing. Yeah, I have this, but it's not who I am. It's part of who I am, but I'm going to use that to be a positiveness so I can relate to other people. That's what I got from this piece. And I love how this piece spoke to me that way because at the end of the day, um, the part with the race really got to me because I thought about Paul from the Bible and he talks a lot about you know the race it's not about like, um, how did he say? It's not about winning the race. It's actually getting through the race because going through the race is the process. It's, it's the stuff you go through. And yeah, there's, there's roadblocks there, but I'm not going to let that roadblock stop me from the destination I need to get there, you know, to, to be there. So I'm going to keep pressing on no matter how difficult this race gets. Because at the end of the day, once I finish the race, I can look back and be like, yes, I got through this race. I got through this lap. I got through all of this. And at the end of the day, it's like, I did not let these things overcome me. So if I went through all this, so whatever else is ahead of me, I'm going to be okay because I'm still alive and I'm still breathing. And, and I've conquered this. I've, I've got through this to a point where, no, I, I can go through anything else because I know now how strong I am because the process you go through is to make you stronger. And people think that struggle makes you weaker. Actually, it helps you become stronger and stronger and stronger. And that's what I got from this piece, when the piece you just read. And it's called Letters. Yeah. Oh, thank you so much, man. That was uh, an awesome interpretation of what I said and uh it's fantastic that you've found the relationship with God as well so I'm really I'm really happy for you uh, thank you yeah, thank you called, uh, a letter to myself about letters yeah I love that oh my god because it's so everything you said is so so on and that's exactly what it is and I love that you know um thank you so much for um sharing that piece and I love the fact that you could just take everything you've been through and turn it into positive. Because I think that's very important, you know, taking the negatives into positives and, and to make it your own, you know, because it, it, yeah. unfortunately, there's a lot of people and, you know, and I, I think we've all done this where when we don't have guidance and we don't really know what to do, 
it's like, you know, you're vulnerable. And it's crazy because when I was growing up, no one really sat down with me and explained things to me. So when I was going through some things and I was going through certain things I didn't understand and the way I would react to it was like, oh my God, what is that? You know, and it sucks because then the people who do, you know, who were explained things to looked at you like, what's wrong with this guy? Why is he acting like that? Like to them it's normal, to me it wasn't normal. And I'll give you an example. When I was growing up, I was going through puberty. Nobody really explained to me what that was. The things I was going through and all this other stuff. And people would look at me like, I'm crazy. Yo, why are you reacting like that? Oh, what's wrong with you kind of thing? And yeah. it's like, nobody really explained that to me. And it, it, it was very difficult in my teenage years when I was going through these things, you know? Yeah, that must have been tough, man. Yeah, and it's it's like, damn, you know? But, like, again, it's like it was over time that, you know, and that's just one example of what I went through. But there was other stuff I went through, too. Like, when I had my first girlfriend, because uh, I, I didn't have my first girlfriend until I was, like, 20, you know? So I didn't understand the difference between your friends and having a girlfriend, you know, a significant other. I never really understood that. And it took two relationships for me to really understand after we broke up and stuff like that. And it's interesting, you know, because when you don't have guidance and you don't have anyone to sit down with you and really explain things to you, it's hard. It's very is. It really is hard. And, you know, and we, we don't know how to deal with those situations. And it's like, it's later on in life that, oh, okay, I get it now. But at the same time, I can be like, oh, see, but if you explain this to me, then maybe I wouldn't have went through that. But if you never, if you would have never went through that, then you wouldn't really understand life on a bigger scale of things. Yeah, yeah, I understand. I feel like, I feel like life gives every individual challenges. Um, don't get me wrong; some challenges may be tougher than others. I mean, one hundred percent. But in life, I feel we all have our challenges. Um, let me just use myself as an example. I feel my first challenge in life is. Sorry, my cat just jumped on my back and I jumped. <laughs> no, it's okay. Um, she scrammed me. She's got some sharp claws, man. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, well, yeah. So my first challenge in life, 100%, has been my OCD. Um, just growing up, understanding it, li living with it, uh, so isolated for so long, not telling anybody about it, um, almost being afraid of what people think of me. Um, just, just in fear of general of like just family members dying because I didn't complete a compulsion. You know, I had that weight on my shoulders. It's difficult to explain, but if if you have an intrusive thought that a family member will die if you don't, for example, um, run up and down the stairs twenty times, which is one random compulsion that I do. You know, the anxiety that comes with that is is ridiculous, and then if you don't do it correctly 20 times or you forget the number or you get interrupted, you do it again another 20 times, then it becomes super time consuming and stressful. And the uncertainty of, of like, did I run up those stairs like the a correct way? Did I, did I purposely miss step number one and went on step two? And it gets very complex. Again, that is just one of the many compulsions that personally that I've done. Um, a lot of mine are in my head. I, I pray a lot of, as part of rituals and, and compulsions, but that's um, uh, something called puro OCD where 
you can't where where they call it invisible invisible compulsion so they're all in my head but anyway i feel like what i'm trying to say is i then uh, was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes when i was 21 uh, 23 which was um quite difficult with the change of lifestyle uh, injecting every day for maybe about five times a day um basically injecting insulin with every meal and basically just to keep me alive so that's my that's my next challenge but what i've realized from these challenges and as i've been growing up and as i've been writing about it and writing about my experiences that life throws you challenges for a p- purposely because it's it all depends on how that individual deals with the challenge and when we can find balance within our life our challenge is to find balance so balance being able to understand and figure out a way of dealing with our mental health illness for example therapy for example positive coping mechanisms exercise eating healthy um, talking to people uh, being creative and then with my type 1 diabetes just keeping on top of things with my insulin making sure again I'm eating healthy and exercising I feel like balance is the is the key is the key to all of to all of our challenges no matter how hard the challenge challenge is you've got to deal with it in a in a certain way and you can go one way or the other um you can follow the road of not not being able to deal with it and then that just leads to more challenges in your life or you can face face your problems head on and you know as as hard as it is especially mental health illness as hard as it is to to combat um once we do combat it and face it that is on the other side is is you know life really is is living and and finding that that balance to succeed to achieve to just you know be unstoppable basically that's what i'm trying to say if that makes any sense <laughs> No, it does. It does. And uh one thing I love what you said was the stairs analogy that you bring in. Like let's say you're going up 20 20 steps, but I like how you said did I miss this step? Did I skip a step? And I took that as a process. Like okay, you, when you go to each step one by one, you know, it, it, you're going through all the steps, but one thing I've learned in my life, if I could use that analogy as well, is the fact that yeah, I can go through the steps, but am I learning my life as I go each step at a time? Because we can go through things step by step, but if we rush the process of going through each step, are we really learning anything from that? And and, and I think that's very profound that you said what you said, because it's so true to life, you know, and, you know, as far as the, the, the diabetes thing, uh, my mother you know, has, um, she's pre-diabetic because, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm like really up there. So I'm trying my best to maintain what I eat. Cause I used to eat like ridiculous, you know, and, and, um, gluttony is something definitely I struggle with, which I don't really talk about a lot, but that is something I struggle with gluttony and, and trying to change the habits of eating. is not a, it's not an easy thing. It really isn't, you know, but yeah. like when I hear stories like yours, like that, it's like, wow, okay. It helps me appreciate, okay, I'm not alone. So now what do I do from here? How do I take that inspiration into a, and apply it to my life? You know, and, and that's very, and thank, thank you for trusting me with that, you know, for saying that, because I'm pretty sure that wasn't easy for you to talk about that. No, it's, um, yeah. Well, I mean, when I got diagnosed with type one diabetes, obviously it's an autoimmune disease, um, slightly different to type two, but, uh, 
it you know it wasn't it wasn't easy at first i was like okay well i've, I've got this i've just got to deal with it and then you go through the like stages of oh why me um you know anger like frustration and then you, you, I, I sort of went through the stage of because i have to inject every day and i was i'm a very sporty person i've always played sport all my life and i got to the point where like oh what if i'm not as good at sport anymore yeah, you you can go you you can go through a mad sort of rabbit hole of of doubting yourself and and feeling let's be fair feeling sorry for yourself, but you've got to you've got to just some some way somehow crawl out of that rabbit hole and um and find find the other side. I mean I mean I'm not saying like I'm bang on doing exercise all the time. You know I fall off now and then. Of course I do. Unfortunately, I still have a drink now and then, but I don't drink excessively anymore. I'll just drink to try and, and enjoy it. But that's something I'm still dealing with. I mean, as you know, life's life's a daily challenge. It's not like it's not like you once you figure out something, like that's it, boom, we, we're done. We we've completed life. You know, it's it's consistency, it's it's um it's self being self disciplined. Yeah, it's just finding finding those ways in in your darkest moments to 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 bounce back basically amen amen brother no amen to that and i definitely agree with that especially the the balance i think about the the weight scale you know like when one things will outweigh the others we have to do something to unweight those things so that way it can balances out in the i mean is it always going to be balanced no but it's all about maintaining the balance and how do we yeah, handle the balance around us, and I love that you 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 touched on that. So, with that being said, I wanted to ask you about another song on that album called Johnny and Bobby. Like, what? Like, talk to me about that song. Okay, so Johnny and Bobby is a storytelling song, which I created. Um, so, racism is a massive, um, ongoing problem as we both know um not just in the uk not just in america but worldwide um and with my music with my poetry i don't just talk about mental health i talk about things and topics that i'm very passionate about and one of them is racism and um trying to educate people uh you know because there's people out there who are not racist but they'll still have racist stereotypes within their head um, you know, racism such, there's so many branches from racism because ever since, you know, the Atlantic slave trade and maybe even further, further than that, but obviously the Atlantic slave trade was the big one. And basically I wanted to create a song which tries to, in a storytelling fashion, which tries to put two people, so Johnny and Bobby. So Johnny is uh, starts off as a, a white kid and then it follows his life. Same with Bobby. Bobby's Bobby's black and follows his life and they and Bobby moves in uh, pretty much across the road from Johnny uh, from a young age. But the song starts with Johnny's dad and Johnny's dad's struggling for work. You know, he's he's a hardworking white man um, trying to make ends meet, basically, and trying to put the bread on the table. So the element of sympathy we feel for, for Johnny's dad until... Um, he he sees that Bobby is coming over and playing football or or, or a ball game, I should say, because I say ball games, um, with Bobby. 
And then he then starts to slowly tell Johnny his, basically what he's been taught from his dad and his granddad about black people. Um, and then Johnny, obviously being friends with, with Bobby, then ends up having a completely different viewpoint of, of Johnny. But also he doesn't want to go against his dad, but then he still wants to be friends with Bobby. Um, so Johnny is a little bit confused, but eventually does does stick with what his dad says. And then uh, Bobby eventually has to move because they get into an altercation. And then, and then it goes through then. So it starts in 1994, then it goes to 2004, then it goes to 2014 when Barack Obama was the president. This is actually based in America as well, this, this song. And then uh, we hit 2016 when uh, pretty much things start, really start changing and Johnny becomes, I've, I've used Trump as an example for it. He becomes a, an extreme Trump supporter, should we say, but um, has his own sort of morals due to what he's been passed down from from his dad. So he's carrying that racism with him. And then we come to 2018 and then we hit 2020 when everything went on with the pandemic and Black Lives Matter movement. Um, Johnny is, is, is being more aggressive, trying to get people to protest against Black Lives Matter um, while Bobby is, is working in security um, for... Uh, well, we don't know who for until we get to 2021, which is where the conclusion of the song happens. And um, pretty much Johnny is working in the Capitol building as security and... Sorry, Bobby is working in the Capitol building as security and Johnny storms it as, as, it, as it did happen in real life with, with his following. And then they meet at the end for, for some words, should we say. <laughs> Um, and a bit of a realisation to Johnny, but I won't tell you what the ending is. Um, I'll let people try and figure, uh, listen to the song and find that out for themselves. But basically... Exactly. Basically, the point of the song is showing that racism is educated, not... Uh, you're not born with it. That's, that's, the, that's the basics of the song. I hear you on that. Um, that that's very powerful, actually, because one, I'm I'm listening to everything you're saying, and one thing I realized too, um, racism is educated, and I'll tell you why. Because I feel like, not that you're born with it, but I feel like it's more like it gets passed down to yeah, you does, yeah. from somebody else in a different generation. And think about uh, one thing I thought about was a generational curse because generational curses get passed on and passed on. So yeah, I'll pass you some knowledge, but unfortunately there's some consequences with the knowledge I pass you because depending on how you get the knowledge, how you receive it, it either becomes a generational curse or it's a generational curse that was passed on to you and some things, you know, it's like a virus. Like, I mean, I hate to say it like this, but it's like a virus, right? So the the it's a seed that gets planted in, right? And the bigger it gets, yeah. the crazier it becomes kind of like a tree like a plant you put a plant like if i take a a little seed i can take it out with my hand and just remove it but if you let the seed grow and grow and grow you need something bigger than your hands to um knock the the, the plant down or the tree down and 
knocking out a gigantic tree is probably going to take months, years, or sometimes a long time yeah. before you can knock that tree down. But if you don't pull that tree all the way down to its roots, then it's going to continue growing no matter how many times you cut it. It's like um, 100%. David and Goliath. Like David and Goliath, let's say, I'll say that, you know, he didn't just knock the giant out, he chopped his head off type thing. So I feel like it works the same way. If you don't cut the head off and get to the root of where it migrates in you and really pull that thing out, it's going to continue, you know, overcoming you. And one thing I realized is, like I said, you can cut the tree down, but, you know, evolution is an ongoing process. So even if I cut that tree down, doesn't mean I pulled everything by its roots. And they grow differently each time you cut the tree down. Mm, definitely. Uh, I like that analogy. It's a good analogy, for sure. No, thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, and that's how that's how that's that's how that piece spoke to me. It, it, it's just unfortunate that this is even till this very day, like we're still going through this. You know, this has been going on since like the 1600s. and it's yeah. just like wow, you know, like we're still going through this. And it, I don't know if it's worse now or is not as bad. Like I can't say that, but what I do is just the fact that it's still going on. And there was a poet on Instagram who wrote, who made a post about autism, basically, because her daughter has autism. And one thing that she was basically saying that, hey, you know, I can't believe we're still making fun of each other. We're still blasting each other about this. And basically she went to a park and the kids were picking on her because she's different. And that's what it comes down to. When you're different than what society says you are, it's like, you're not accepted, right? And I thought, considering that life you know, uh, civilization has changed so much, you would think maybe some things would decrease, but actually it's increasing and it sucks. That is what we have to go through even to this very day. Yeah, there's some things we have to filter out now because let's be honest, you can't just say anything. So maybe in that sense, maybe it's not as bad, but it's still bad because mm -hmm. as old things come to pass, I guess new things come to, um, well, I can't even pronounce that word. Rotation is that? Am I saying that word right? Like it, 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 it becomes different, you know. Fruition? Did you did you mean? I think that's what I meant. Yeah, yeah I think that's what I'm. Yes, that makes sense. That makes sense. One hundred percent. I think the um. I I like to use like a bully like a bully in a in a playground. Um, I think a lot of people like. Who are. A lot of people, unfortunately, are sheep, aren't they? And they'll follow maybe the person who's got the most power, for example. So you have the bully in the playground who will pick on um, a weaker kid that they think is weaker. Um, sorry, a kid that they think is weaker. And then nobody's going to, nobody or hardly anybody ever stands up to that bully and stops them. They'll, they'll, they, they join them before they'd stop them because the majority of people would because uh, they're, they're afraid of them being bullied. And I feel like when it comes to racism, I feel like, you know, the slave trade was the Atlantic slave trade, which is pretty much um, where, you know, the modern day, well, slavery as we sort of know it stemmed from. I think it, I think the root, I always used to think the root was, was power and money. I used to think people were driven by power and money. And then I, I thought a bit deeper and I thought, well, no, actually to get power and money, there, there has to be something else going on which made me 
realise that I believe the root of racism and the root to a lot of problems in the world is selfishness. So what I mean by that is people um, would take it, would take people from Africa and sell them because they were self being selfish because they knew that that was going to make them the best, the best, the most money at the time. And they didn't really care for anybody's lives. Now this is selfishness on a completely different level level because empathy, there's not really much empathy there. Um, You know, and then the black, the black man, the black woman was then seen to be, um, unfortunately, derogative or, or like, black people were seen to be basically as not nice people. And then in America and around the world, um, every time a slave was bought, that other person who, who bought the slave again was doing that because of selfishness because they knew that slave was that slave was then going to help them make even more money so the best thing they could do is paint the picture of the black person to be completely bad and wild so then other people around them who don't have this intense less like evil selfishness within them could then say oh actually i understand why why they're doing that that makes sense because this person is not actually a nice person. Um, these people are going to steal from us, so it's okay to enslave them. And then I just think, as you said, I completely agreed with you with the generation thing. It's then passed from generation to generation to generation, all of these ideologies. And um, usually usually when you've got a parent, as much as people are quite defiant, um, but people will listen or listen to or um, live by the morals of that parent. And unfortunately, there's still a lot of parents or generations stuck in this crazy cycle of of teaching that the black person is a bad person if that makes sense no it makes perfect sense definitely and and one thing i i found very not not sad but just i guess it's a shame that it, it gets like that because one thing I've learned in my life, not everything our parents says is correct. Kind of like not everything the doctor says is correct. Not everything that a person says is correct. You know, <laughs> it's like me and my wife have things that, oh, says who? That's like our thing because it's like, yeah. so society says A, B, and C, but doesn't mean everything that A, B, C is, is correct. You know, like, and it's crazy because there's always three sides to a story. There's yours, there's mine, and there's the truth. <laughs> yeah, nice. Yeah, I like that. You know, so it's 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 interesting to me how this is what it's become. You know, um, there was a poet that I was introduced to last year by because um, there's a there's an organization, um, not an organization. There's like a group of people. They call them on the offbeat. I think it's called, and it was through their channel. I came across this man named Tony Tregilio. So he's a professor in Chicago, which I, um, he was actually a guest on my, on the first season of my podcast. And they were talking about the beach generation, right? So there was a poet by the name of Allen Ginsberg. So I'll just take it from there. He wrote about those same exact issues because back in the fifties, right? Going into the sixties, you know, cause the sixties, the hippie era was a lot different and they were more countercultural. And so was Allen Ginsberg, but Allen Ginsberg's whole thing was, this is what's going on. I'm going to join you guys because I want to understand what's going on. 
I want to see why this is going on. What do you guys stand for type thing? And, and, and a lot of the pieces he wrote about, you know, was basically like, hey, if we don't stop thinking this way, then this is going to happen. That's what his pieces were about. Yeah. If, 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 if we don't talk about these issues, these issues are going to get worse. And this is the fifth, because as a matter of fact, the beat generation was the bridge to the hippies generation. And this is where it, it just took off from there. Because if you see a lot of the things that happened back in those days and what they were fighting for is a lot of the stuff that's going on even now. Like if Allen Ginsberg was still alive, he would have been writing about, he probably, I know for a fact, he would, he would have joined the Black Lives Matter March and he would actually write about everything he experienced in that time. But from, a, not just from his perspective, but from the perspective of other people around him because he would ask questions, have conversations and he would write them down. And it's funny because one thing I said to Tony Gergilio was, do you think this was a prediction of things to come if certain things did not come? Because what they were teaching in schools back then was, you know, this is like post-World War II and all that stuff. But hey, okay, we could teach these things, but what about the stuff that's around us now? Like, how come we're not talking about yeah. this? Why are we not talking about that? Why are we kind of like shutting the door on those things? Because everybody talks about the Louisiana Purchase and all this other stuff, but what about the civilization that's going on right now? Like, how come we're not teaching these things? And he was one of those pioneers that were countercultural against the post-war era kind of thing. Because, you know, they're set in their own ways. Our, his thing was, no, there's a different perspective of things. And I feel like, you know, now that we're having this conversation, and I've had this conversation with other people as well, I can honestly say, say to say this was a prediction more like, it was a prediction of, hey, if we don't stop doing this, then this is going to happen. But it was also like, see, like, I felt like if he was alive, he'd be like, damn, I was afraid this was going to happen. And look what's happened, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's just so, so interesting how even at an earlier time, they, they, they were seeing things from a perspective that a lot of people ignored. And I think I took it as, hey, let's, let's stop being this way. But nobody listened to us and look what happened kind of thing. That's the way I took Allen Ginsberg's writing. You know, and other poets from that generation as well. And one poet that is not very well recognized because she had uh, completed suicide at a very young age was Elise Cowan. Oh. And all she wanted to do was be herself. But she was surrounded by Jewish family and their culture was so strict that you can't talk about mental health. You can't talk about this. You can't talk about that. But, you know, it wasn't until later, later that her best friend, Leo Skirt, you know, I had her poems, so I said, I'm going to publish these poems. So thank you, Leo Skirt, for publishing those poems, because if you read her pieces, it's like, oh, my God, this is exactly how I feel. This is exactly what you've been through. Just wanting to be ourselves. And it, it's just sad that we're still going through a lot of these things today. And it, it makes me wonder sometimes, like, is this what they saw ahead of time kind of thing? I don't know. I don't want to sound like a conspiracy theorist, but it's just like, wow, it's so crazy. And now a lot of people in civilization has ignored so many things and look what it's become today. I'm not saying that it's everyone's fault, but I can say that, hey, this is a lot of things that they talked about that a lot of people ignored for yeah. so many years. And it's like, now we're talking about it. Now we're addressing those issues. But why weren't we addressing those issues before? I, th I th Yeah, no, that's powerful, man. Um, very sad to hear that that, that uh, woman committed suicide as well. It's very sad. But I think that, I think that 
there was always another agenda, um, maybe, which is why they almost like didn't want us to start talking about these things. Um, again, I, I always come back to selfishness somewhere, somewhere, so someone was gaining something from something, <laughs> if you get me, which is why we didn't start talking about these things. However, I feel like now, finally, everybody is waking up and we're not just waking up. We are fighting. We're standing up against racism, against mental health, against all of these things that have been problems for years. We are finally coming together and doing something about it. And it is powerful. And I don't think anybody can stop any of these movements anymore because there's so many people passionate about it and talking about it that, you know, power is power is in numbers at the end of the day. And, and, and there's 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 more there's more numbers getting on board with all these things. So I think we I think we're heading in the right direction. And I really want to quickly mention about modern day modern day slavery, which is what I touch on a little bit in my EP as well on the number on the first track 13. Okay. Yeah, so I've I basically do a, a spoken word poem at the end of at the end of thirteen, and I I watched the Netflix show called Thirteenth. Um, it's about the Thirteenth Amendment, um, and basically, uh, it's almost as though they've traded uh, all these. You know, they've traded basically brutality in the form of lynching or and all the rights that black people didn't have they've traded that for now incarceration and incarceration is becoming a massive bit and it seems like just from watching that documentary and doing a bit of research that that is almost the new form of the new the new form of to get people incarcerated for years for just doing you know petty crimes and stuff like that uh, it's a very deep rabbit hole and we probably don't have enough time to explore it but i wanted to quickly mention we could explore it no go ahead no go ahead yeah, because this um, I, I I really think that again world worldwide. There's there's a gain for some for somebody somewhere, and all these corporations are making money of things, and if 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 they make incarceration a business, they're going to throw more people away for petty things. But who are they going to throw? Who would they throw and put in prison more? Would they put the white man in prison more? Would they put the black man in prison more, or or other ethnicities and history tells us that they would do it to the more you know the bame um the people with ethnic backgrounds because they feel like uh it's it's acceptable should we say and that almost to me is is pretty much a mod modern day slavery if that makes sense um no that makes perfect sense um wow that that really well, that really hit home because it's so true. I mean, I can't say I've been discriminated against in that way. Um, I've had I've had cops stop me for something real stupid, you know, and it just happened to be like the opposite race of me. But like, I I don't know. I, I can't say I've been discriminated in that way like the other minorities have. And it's just crazy to me how like this is even a thing to this very day. Um, I was gonna ask you, do you want to actually read the piece? Yeah, I can read that that final poem if you like. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Also, um, I had this sort of idea the other day, almost another analogy. Now, if you picture um, a white a white child and a black child, 
uh, and maybe sort of an an Asian child. This is going to sound horrible, by the way, but this is the point. The reason why I'm saying this for shock value is is to try and get people to think. You see on the TV a lot, well, we do in Britain, you know, a lot about um, the the lack of food in Africa and children starving and stuff. And it almost becomes the norm, which is horrible to think. But if you trade that black child for a white child, I can guarantee you many people will perceive that completely differently and will be horrified by it, by the sight of seeing a white child who is who you know is very skinny uh malnutrition um you know not getting not getting the vitamins minerals food water whatever you say um you know homeless and things like that i can guarantee you it it is perceived differently um and a lot of people would probably say oh no 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 i don't i don't see any different because humans humans are human but they will naturally they will uh probably feel more even have more empathy for the white child because they haven't seen it as much does that make sense no that makes perfect sense absolutely yeah. and so what it's so no no go ahead no no go ahead yeah so what i was trying to say is like all these things are, are planted are planted in in our mindset and we don't even know it um even down to the fact like I just said about um, them, people constantly showing how bad Africa is, which is terrible, by the way. Like Africa being the motherland where I believe I believe humans came from. How how can that be one of the most poorly, one of the most um, uh, the continent that is starving? It just baffles baffles my mind. Um, it's it's just shocking. But but seeing these constant images and stuff, like people get used to them. Um, and people almost expect them. That's what I'm trying to say. And it and it all it all no, it, makes it all links into what's going on. I, I'm sorry, man. I'm terrible at, at explaining myself, which is why I write poetry. <laughs> no, no, it's all good. No, no, it's all good. It's all, no, I get everything you're saying. Absolutely, and it's interesting because I I wondered that same way, right? And I've always had this conversation with my wife or my brother or you know just other people I know in my life. We you know, whether Americans or, or UK, or, you know, whatever we're from, anything that's not Africa, basically poorish like that, like, especially in America, I think this is a bigger, I don't know if it's, a, is, I don't know if what I'm about to say, it applies to every country, but I know in America, particularly, because that's where I'm from, um, one of the biggest issues I've always had with this country is the fact that we do a lot more complaining instead of just trying to understand what's around us, right? Because if you really think about and everything you just said, we really have nothing to complain about. Now, is there a lot of stuff that needs to be worked on behavior-wise? Yeah, absolutely. But to make it seem like we have it worse than a lot of people, no, no, we don't, because you just made a good point right there. People like, and people in Africa, they have it a whole lot worse than we do, but yet they make the best of everything they have, no matter how bad the situation is i think they're one of the most humblest people i've ever known you know i have a friend of mine that came from there but he's doing better here in the united states now but it's just the fact that you know like they i can honestly say they're a little bit more humble than we are because they take what they have and they make the best of things do they have food all the time do they have clothes all the time no they don't but they make the best of everything and yet we have a 20 times better than they do but yet we're complaining because 
we don't have enough money or we don't have this or certain materialistic things that don't really last forever because when we die, the flesh stays here. Spiritually, we go to heaven or to hell or we all, you know, some people don't believe in that. That's fine. And it's just like what we have here is only temporary. That's it, you know, and, and what we have forever is our happiness, our joy, and our peace of mind. That's a lifestyle. That's a long-lasting thing, you know, and it, it just baffles me how we could look at what we have and complain when we could see someone like Africa, like, wow, we could, they could teach us about what humility yeah. is. They could teach us about what it is to really love what we have and really enjoy the best of what we have, you know, and I'm not saying, okay... We have, you know, some people, I'm not saying that everybody's like that. I'm just saying it just looks like the majority of this country is this way. Not everyone, you know what I'm saying? But it's just that, you know, because I know there's people who have the worst of the worst in America. And it's like they're making the best of what we have, of what they have. But what I'm trying to say is, why is it so easier to complain and not easy to embrace? If that makes sense. Yeah, no, that, that makes a lot of sense. I've actually been to Africa. I went, I went to Zambia. Um and one of oh, my, wow. the things that I took away from it was uh, how beautiful the nation was. Just like, every person I was walking down the street and they were saying, hi, how are you doing? You know, with a massive smile on their face. Where in Britain, um, don't get me wrong, some people, yes, greet you. But <laughs> a lot of people are just moody, man. <laughs> you know, they don't, we don't walk yeah. down the street and <laughs> smile and wave and, hey, how's it going? Yeah, everybody seems to be so focused in their own lives and the friendliness and stuff is, is not as, as what, what it used to be, I guess. Um, I just, use, I sort of use the phrase that everybody's lost in their own little world, you know, and they are. Um, but when I was in, when I was in Zambia, it was just so refreshing. Just everybody, you know, it, and it wasn't just cause I was a foreigner either because they would, they would, they would do it to everybody, you know, anybody and everybody. Um, it was just a real, real sense of um, community wherever you went and a real sense of togetherness. And that's what I really loved about Zambia. It was just a fantastic experience. And I would actually recommend if anybody gets the opportunity to go to Zambia uh, or, you know, Africa, um, please, please do, because it's such an eye-opening experience. And you will take, And I mean, for me, it was life-changing. So as cliche as it sounds, (laughs) it was life-changing. And I feel everybody, everybody needs that, man. Everybody needs that life-changing experience in their lives no absolutely absolutely and um, i wanted to ask you because chat life changing experience i definitely want to talk about the you know what what we've been going through these last this whole last year and a half with the um the virus um uh, because I, I i tried to say the word only because i think i could get in trouble for that it's kind of weird with recording and you know all these rules you have to follow so <laughs> yeah. it's like whatever so with the virus everything's been going through like, um, I feel like for me, that was definitely a life-changing experience for me. And I'll tell you why, because, you know, where I live, because I'm originally from New York, I'm from Brooklyn. So I was used to certain things. And when I moved to New Jersey, I'm used to something else. And when certain things are taken away from you, you learn, I, I feel like this virus, this pandemic that happened, definitely changed my perspective of things because I started to see my own true colors. And there was things that I believe like, you know, God wanted me to work on that. So with that being said, I wanted to ask you, how did this experience change the way you think, if that makes sense? Uh, The experience as in with the virus? 
Yeah. So, yes. Um, the experience with the virus. Uh, you're going to find this maybe quite, I don't know. I don't know. I can't think of the word. I'm such a deep thinker and um, I, I've expressed a lot of my deep thoughts, you know, from a young age. Uh, put it this way. At 16, I wrote this. Everybody's lost in their own little world. They feel the universe revolves around them as it twirls, but they've been hurled into a mind-controlled state, influenced by the media they've taken the bait, manipulated by a force that is seen to be great, murderous cowards, a power that will soon have its fate, the secrets of the universe, the secrets of the planets. I seek, I find, and I damn sure demand it. If we keep turning a blind eye, then we will all vanish from nothing but a conspiracy. This is soon to be carnage. The government, they're nothing but thieves. They steal from you. They hide things from us. Never show us the truth. Like Tupac, I still see no changes for the better. But change will come soon, depending on whether that changes for the good or for the bad together. We gotta protect one another. Open our eyes, find release from our hypnotized minds. A society is living in the broken dream. The only hope is our spoken schemes. But but all I hear is silence as they choke our screams. Oblivious violence as we continue to live in modern day slavery. So basically, that was my way. I, I said a minute ago, I'm not very good at explaining myself. I'm better at writing poetry and raps. Um, but I wrote that 16, 17, which is basically saying, you know, we all need to wake up and stop conforming to to all these rules of society, like um, the nine to five job, the 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 societal that this whole that this world has. Um, and when when COVID happened, um, it sort of. Oh, sorry, I wasn't meant to say that, was I? When, when the virus happened. It's fine, it's fine. yeah, it's I fine. I feel like a lot of people, including myself, I mean, it did it did affect me to the to a point because I thought, right now I can work on my poetry and my raps and I can really make an impact. Um, but also I feel like it gave everybody, what I've always been thinking anyway, it gave everybody the freedom to look and reflect on their lives and see whether they're happy in the job that they're in or whether their life is fulfilled, or whether they they want to go out and chase their dreams, they want to they want to take you know six months to to explore Alaska, <laughs> you know, or, or you know like like right. it, it gives people the realization to really look at their lives and think, wow, what am I what am I actually doing? What am I doing with my life? I, I've been in this job for ten years now, uh, you know, okay, it pays my bills, but am I fulfilled? I'm just, you know, I, I travel, I get in my car, I travel to work, I have lunch, I come home and then I do that five days a week and then I have a weekend, I might have a drink with some friends and then it's back to the grind again. Uh, and then I'll, hmm, hmm, let me, let's say they have one holiday a year, you know, okay, I'm not saying that's a bad life. It's really not. There's far more people worse off. That's not what I'm saying here. What I'm saying here is we as human beings, in my opinion, have a purpose on earth. We are also travelers, you know, everybody, Everybody should be able to explore this earth um, without like the, the thing. The thing we're all held back by is money. Let's be honest, because we need money to do stuff. But I'm I'm hoping that this this is given the, the opportunity for people to maybe maybe be able to be a bit frugal with with their money and you know maybe think this materialistic item here, which costs this month this much a month that I don't really need, and maybe. I can I can take one day more off work a week, so I have three days weekend. So then I can go out and explore the world on the weekend, or I can put more time into my passion. I can write that book that I wanted to write. I can create those poems that I wanted to create. 
I can start that art art class that I wanted to do. I can learn how to plaster walls, <laughs> you know, whatever. That's 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 the biggest thing for me. That people look at their lives and reflect and and think, no, this this, this is not right. Let, let's let's change this and and let's let's get let's be happier and let's let's just try and achieve more and see see more things in the world. Again, if that makes sense. <laughs> Amen. No. Amen, brother. No, you are. Amen, brother. And honestly, that's the way it should be. And unfortunately, it's not always the case, but that's the way it should be, in my opinion. I definitely agree with you on that. And it's true because I thought about it as, okay, yeah, like you don't, you never want to look back in life later and be like, damn, should I have done this? Mm -hmm. I could have done this. What if I would have done this? Would have, could have, should have, but didn't, or I did, or I didn't. And it, 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 it's like, it sucks to be in a situation like that. You know how many times, I, I guess you could say regrets, you know? I used to say, oh, I don't have regrets because um, then I wouldn't be the person I am. But when I look at it realistically, yeah, I do have regrets because yeah, it made me the person I am today, but to not have regrets and wonder, you know, it, it, I, I'd be lying mm-hmm. to myself, right? At the same time, now, how do we take those regrets and to make it better? And I think you just basically summed it up right there. Everything you just said makes so much sense because, okay, I have these regrets, but it doesn't mean I have to make more regrets. Take the regrets I have already and turn it into something where I don't have any other regrets, yeah, that's if powerful. that makes sense. And what's even more powerful is you, uh, as a man, recognizing that you did have some regrets because a lot of people will live their life they may have these regrets, but they're in denial of those regrets because they don't want to, they don't want to sort of fathom or think of, oh, what if I did do that? You know, they, they can't even escape that, that horrible thought of thinking, oh, my life could have been like this or that. So if somebody who can recognize they have regrets and then move forward in life to try and try and uh, accomplish life with as little, my mum always says this, she always says, Duke, I want you to go through life with as little ifs as possible. So if, if a person can then go through life wow. with as little ifs as possible, then that is powerful. So well done to you, man, for, you know, for recognizing that you've got regrets and you're obviously, it's obviously uh, been life changing for you. And, you, you know, it sounds like you're, you're really achieving and really striving to be, to be better in life and, and go for, go for your dreams and stuff. So yeah. Awesome, man. Awesome to hear. Wow. I love that. You know, I, I'm so good at, you know what I'm going to do after this? What's, you know, like I put the episode, I'm so good to write a quote. I'll say, you know, by Duke L, obviously I'll say, and I'll put that, live life with as little ifs as possible. I love that. That is, I never saw that until now. Like, wow, that is the best way yeah. to look at life <laughs> with a little ifs as possible. And it's so crazy because I saw a preaching that, you know, it, it sounded funny, but I know what he was trying to say. He said, um, we can't go on life if you're always looking at your butt, right? And he's not talking, at first you're like, oh, that's funny. But no, he was talking about not butt as oh, in your butt, butt, yeah. butt, buttocks. He means butt yeah. as in like, oh, like everything is butt, 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 butt. I want to yeah. do this butt, 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 butt. And it's like, if you keep, if you want to go into your purpose, you want to step into your future, you can't live in life with your butt, you know, but I'm not qualified. I don't know the right people, but I don't know this. Oh, but I don't know that. You can't live life if you're constantly being followed, but your butt, you know what I'm saying? And, 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 and that's what it reminded me of when you said that live life with 
little with a little ifs as possible. I, I love that. That is the way it should be. Do we always follow it? No, but I love that because wow, I've never even would have thought of something like that. You yeah, say your mom. Told my mom's a very wise woman. <laughs> she told me that at a young age. Oh young my age. god, that is yeah, so awesome. powerful. Tell, tell <laughs> that that's yeah, powerful. <laughs> Um, so of course, you know, we're gonna bring this to a close. You know, I just want to say thank you so much for being doing this episode with me and being a part of this journey with me, you know, and how however we can continue supporting each other definitely. And with that being said, do you have any final thoughts that yeah, you wanna do, bring um, in? First of all, it's yeah, I didn't get to read that 13 piece, but that's absolutely cool because what I want to say is Everybody who listened in, number one, thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate it. I hope you've been inspired or maybe learned something from me. Um, and uh, maybe you you can have the strength to be more open about your mental health or something that's going on in your life, which, which you want to sort of tackle. And please, uh, I would really appreciate if you checked out my new EP, it is uh, it's out on all streaming platforms. Um, it's called 13th of the 3rd, 1994. Uh, it's my date of birth. And, and yeah, I'm just really proud of it. And uh, each song is meaningful. I'm all about meaningful music. Uh, seven tracks. Yeah, please check it out. And I want to leave with this. Uh, basically, I want to say that in life, we all have opportunities. And a lot of us procrastinate and maybe... Maybe we say no to some opportunities because we're scared or because we're not quite sure how they're going to happen. I'm going to give you one example now, and that is this podcast. If I didn't say yes to Robert doing that live show, then I wouldn't have met Andy and then I wouldn't have done this podcast. And also, if I said no to the podcast, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have had this amazing conversation um, with Andy. So what I'm saying is once you allow yourself to be uncomfortable because sometimes when you when you go in these conversations, they can be uncomfortable because you're nervous. You know, being nervous sometimes can be uncomfortable. However, on the other side of that is, you know, opportunity, more opportunities and just and beauty, man. And the conversation we've had today, I'm so thankful uh, to be a part of this, Andy. And yeah, everybody just go for your dreams and big love. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, brother. Um, thank you so much for that. 